c'est la nuit. Pluie. Les lumières du cinéma se reflètent par terre. La foule sort, se disperse. Hello and welcome to another episode of uh, Poetry Tears podcast. And today we're joined by Georgina. Hiya. How do you go? Uh, what's your poetry handle? My well, my poetry handle is just my name. I, I haven't given myself a fancy name. I'm just Georgina Langford mm. on pretty much all socials and in po- performing and real life. But my friends call me George, so if it's easier, you guys can call me George. Ooh, <laughs> exclusive <Cool>. info. <laughs> <laughs> so Georgina Langford is a Brighton writer who focuses on the millennial experience. She is a former music journalist turned poet and author, whose debut novel is a coming-of-age story set in 2005, due to be published next year. Congratulations. Thank you. She runs a substack called Millennial Horror Story, publishing essays steeped in mid-2000 nostalgia and subculture. She is also working on her debut poetry collection, do you have a name for your poetry collection yet? I think it's probably going to be under the same name as my Substack, so Millennial Horror Story, because it's all kind of, they're quite interlinked in themes. So yeah. that was like the title that I was going to save for the poetry collection, and then I couldn't sit on it any longer, so I used it for the <laughs> Substack as well. <laughs> but hey, they call it, you know, being a personal brand, don't they? So yeah, that's that's what I think. That's then people called. will link this to your name now. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully. Well, hopefully. It's, a ter- it's kind of a terrible title, but I... How did you come up with the title? Oh, it's just, it was a stupid, like, kind of brainworm just because I'm a big American horror story fan. <laughs> it kind of tied together in like, yeah, the, the horrendousness of being a thirty six year old. Or not horrendousness, but like the the life that I've lived and the life that my peers are living and the, the stuff that we're dealing with in the world that we've inherited from the previous generation. So it's not all doom and gloom, but you know, I wouldn't say any I don't think any millennial would say that our resistance is easy. Mm. So that's kinda of, it's a bit tough. That sets the tone to your writing. Yeah, yeah, plenty to plenty to write about. <laughs> we we first saw you at uh, Words by the Water, mm-hmm. and uh, you performed a poem specifically about Brighton. You know, yes. be, you're being in Brighton in your twenties. Yeah, and this kind of thing. Yeah, it was nearly the one that I picked for today, just because I, I do think that that one kind of was is quite encapsulating of the themes that I write about a lot. Yeah, this, this city means a lot to me, and a lot of my most fond and most heartbroken, most exciting, most. Uh, painful memories are in this city, but mm. I equally, I wouldn't change any of it. Did so. you grow up in Brighton? I wouldn't. I didn't grow up here. I grew up um, further in West Sussex, um, in the middle of absolutely nowhere, like in the middle of the countryside. Um, so Brighton was always this beautiful, exciting place that wasn't too far away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've lived here for 13 years, so I do feel like I can claim to be a local mm-hmm. now. It yeah. is home. <laughs> <laughs> and when did you start writing? I mean classic cliche dance I've been writing since I was a kid English was always my favorite subject at school um I studied journalism became a journalist um in various different fields music was my favorite um area to to work in um so yeah I've been writing forever basically and did did, uh, with your music journalism did Mm -hmm. you do the traditional kind of entry into it by like going to loads and loads and loads of gigs and writing free articles and this kind of stuff kind of Kind of not. I mean, I actually, my, my career in journalism started in fashion, um, but music had always been like such a big part of my life. Um, mm. I didn't listen to music as a teenager at all until I turned 18 and then suddenly discovered this whole world that I'd been missing out on. Really? That's so, that's so unique. It was weird. I, I was quite a sad teenager. I was very insular. Um, I was reading a lot, so books were yeah. much more my thing. And um, expect a music journalist to be Im- embedded into music yeah. all the time. I kind of had, I kind of gave myself like a crash course. I think that's what made me so passionate was that I just had this whole other life open up for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I was always like going to gigs, being part of my local music scene was a massive thing for me. 
for me, but I was working in the fashion industry, which actually didn't correlate because a lot of mm. people in fashion aren't that bothered about music. They kind of see it as like a really silly secondary thing. You know, people that love fashion love fashion and that's the only art they can see. Um, so I just halfway through or you know, midway through my fashion career just decided that actually my heart wasn't in it anymore and I wanted to be writing full time about music as opposed to just doing it in my spare time, writing about my friends' bands, you know. I was always interviewing people and like taking photos and getting myself involved in music because I can't play music, so I'd always be around it. Mm. And then just, yeah, shoehorned my way into the music journalism side of things, which was quite hard as a girl, I have to say, mm. in the sort of late 2010s. Um, wasn't it wasn't the easiest some of that subject matter find its way into the um poetry collection i think it probably will the poetry collection is obviously a work in progress but it's um it's happened quite naturally that i'm just dipping into different areas different time periods of my life um so that welcome to brighton poem the one that you first heard obviously references yeah about sort of 2013 in brighton but i'm gradually working my way backwards to sort of 2009 mm. you know 2005 obviously when my book set as well um and kind of each time period is getting kind of three or four poems around the memories of that time kind of mm. dedicated to it um so yeah just kind of that's and what's your story with playing with the different genres of writing so journalism prose and poetry to me they all feed into each other and actually that's what's really clicked for me as a writer in the last year or so um where obviously i you know i, t I try and combine all my different skills in that regard and i i think for a long time because this is actually the first year of my life that i've shared poetry you know publicly mm, really? i hadn't performed since january i think you guys would have seen my first performance then if, if that I was, was the by the water yeah i think wow. that was maybe my oh. first one or second i think it might have been my second but it was a big leap this year. It too. didn't feel like you were new at it, though. Yeah. <laughs> you got some confidence That's to that. That's a really big yeah. compliment. Um, so I think my journalism skills feed into the fact that I'm a social observer. I'm obsessed with people and people's stories, sharing my own stories, sharing other people's stories. It's something that I just like gather in daily life. And obviously that then massively feeds into how I write. It definitely fed into how I wrote my book because so much of that is kind of trying to capture the essence of a time period. And that was always something because I was a features journalist. So I was interviewing people. I was describing them. I was describing their lives. And to me, it's all started to yeah become very cohesive, which I'm really proud of and feels just way more natural. I think for writing, you can't force yourself to be a different type of writer than you are. Or if you do, it's probably not going to come across as genuine. And yeah. as soon as I allowed myself to just go, you know what, these these different forms of writing all have yeah. a have input to each other, then it, it, it mm. flowed so much better. I think something that I notice in your writing is that you take the role as the observer, as you say, mm. and it's like observing people mm -hmm. from an outsider perspective. Yeah. It's not like all oh, me, 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 this is all these strong <laughs> feelings. <laughs> this is more like I see these people. Yeah. And um, the poem that I picked, mm -hmm. um, where is it? It's rose gold and it's mm. about other people <laughs> yeah. getting married. There's quite a unique one of mine, but yeah, it came out all in one go, as you can probably tell from the way it's written. <laughs> yeah. Um, shall we read it? You want to read it? You want me to read it? No, read it. You have to, yeah. do, you have to do, <laughs> take okay. a deep breath because it is all one yeah. sentence. So oh, good luck. It's all one sentence. <laughs> it's all one sentence. Oh, you sprung this on me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Surprise. Man. Okay, well, this is uh, okay. First, time, first attempt. <laughs> yeah, we uh, can do. Rose gold. What if I had gone for the corporate job and the Oliver bonus dresses and the girls' trips and the Aperol spritzes and the hinge dates with the marketing director and the weekends in the Cotswolds and the six months with this one, posts 
and the special dinner during the trip to Paris, and the rose gold ring, and Hindu in Barcelona, and the wedding in Santorini, and the group shot of blondes in matching grey dresses, all looking inwards towards me, and the radiant smile on my face for that one glorious day, and the honeymoon in the Maldives, where we both sat on our phones, and the coffee maker from the wedding list, and the going down to the part-time, before handing in my notice, and the hours of Pinterest planning and estate agent hunting, and made.com furniture, and the old house that we remodel and document on Instagram, and the arguments about paint, colors, and sleeping on the sofa, and the uneasy feeling about his female colleague, and the checking of his phone, and seeing their texts, and the conversation with the ex-boyfriend from school in my DMs that probably isn't that different, and the cold silences and turned away shoulders under ditzy floral Ikea sheets, and the whole bottle of wine, and the creamy pasta and the photo of him across the table, and the unfulfilling sex in the top-rated hotel that looks two lines just as pretty as it did in the reviews on the anniversary trip to Florence, and the two lines on the pregnancy test, and the proud grandparents throwing a garden party to celebrate, and the sponge cake that makes me nauseous, and the tests in the hospital to check everything is okay, and the distracted look on his face as he checks his phone during the appointment, and the white-hot rage unspoken in the car, and the flowers left in the sink that Friday evening to make up for it, and the novel on the bedside table that gathers dust whilst I scroll Instagram watching reels of children who don't know they are on the internet made by mumfluencers, in America and tapping like and writing OMG so happy for you exclamation mark exclamation mark exclamation mark and putting the champagne glass emoji on photos of my friends on holiday with their left hands placed on their fiance's chests and the group shots of blondes wearing matching grey dresses all looking inwards towards the radiant smiling bride and I hadn't questioned any of it <laughs> wow <laughs> Yes, welcome to my nightmare. <laughs> okay, I was that wrong. Was this, this is about you, actually. This one is specifically incredible. from. It's from sort of you. everything that I am in the process of rejecting, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I am. And, did uh, Did you write that in one fell swoop? Did you write that in much, one sitting? Yeah. <laughs> Most of my writing um, and has always done every, in any creative thing that I do, actually, whether it be art or writing, um, comes to me pretty much fully formed. Um, you know, I'll get like the, the whole overarching concept at mm. least. Not even if it's not like the nitty gritty details, I'll be like, right, this is going to be it. And I just have to get it out of my head, which can be really frustrating if I don't have time to do like the whole thing at once. But this mm. was definitely one that I just started doing. And it just, yeah, as you can tell by the fact that it's got no punctuation or anything, but I kind of wanted it to feel like that because I wanted it to capture the oppressive, heavy, yeah, you feel tra trapped sensation that mm -mm. that lifestyle <laughs> makes me feel, basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And were you close to that lifestyle before? Did you reject it? Or um, is it something that you saw from... I've dipped like away? a toe in and then I quickly dipped it straight back out because, you know, I'm 36, uh, I don't have any kids and I, I knew I was never going to have kids. Uh, whereas a lot of my peers, especially the, the girls that I went to school with, definitely, you know, getting married, having babies was high on their agenda. And even as a teenager, I knew that that wasn't the life that I wanted. I don't, I'm not maternal in terms of children, but I, I very much care for my friends and my like chosen family. Um, I was married and then I, I just literally, as of yesterday, got my divorce finalized. Oh. Um, so, but even that, you know, it was an amicable, amicable divorce and I'm still very, very close friends with my ex-husband, but um, 
even when we were married, I started to feel very uneasy with the whole concept of marriage and the fact that as a feminist, I had willingly partaken in it. So we were even contemplating getting divorced, but staying together as a couple just so that I didn't have to be legally married anymore. But mm -hmm. eventually it was it was the right thing for us to actually properly separate as well. But no, the more I understand about the, the, the legal marital system, the more I understand about the process of being a mother through my friends who have children who all love them dearly, obviously, but like how much that impacts their lives and how much more I understand about capitalism and materialism and how it is basically, to me, a very empty, soulless existence. And I know that sounds, you know, very on my high horse and like a very privileged thing to say, but essentially I think the more and more of us that are waking up to the fact that that kind of checklist, tick box life of find someone, get married, buy a house, have a baby, go on holiday, you know, work your nine to five, get ill die basically it seems to be the way that our government in particular wants us to live and um i really hate that basically and mm. i think a lot of people are only realizing that there are other ways to live perhaps when it's too late you know people that have their midlife crisis or they you know split up from their partners when they're in the 60s because they suddenly realize that maybe they're they're gay or whatever you know there's there are different ways to live and i, I think people need to open their eyes to it so that was my way yeah. of going and you, you wrote about your experience of divorce on your Substack yeah. as well. Yeah, poor poor guy has been the been the recipient of quite a few poems. Um, but you know, he's written he's a musician, so he's written a whole album about our yeah. separation as well. Oh. So it's, you know, it's the, the recipient. Yeah, it goes both ways then. <laughs> and what's the? Do you have a difference for you in terms of writing your newsletter mm -hmm. and how this um, kind of your thoughts on divorce, putting mm -hmm. a little bit of experience in compared to writing a poem about your experience of divorce? Yeah, I think with the, the essay that I wrote about divorce, which is called The Big D, um, and because actually loads and loads and loads of millennial people my age are getting divorced, you know, the stats are very high to suggest that we're all kind of getting out of, of the marital game. Um, the essay is more about the... Um, the practicalities, but also the social understanding of divorce, the way people still act as if there's like a stigma around it, the way people respond to the news of, of divorce. So that's more of like a social observation, whereas my poetry that I've written specifically about the end of my marriage and, and my relationship is obviously way more raw emotion, feeling, heartbreak. You know, I allow myself, I kind of allowed myself to go a lot more into the, the, the grossness of the heartbreak on that one. Whereas the essay is, yeah, more about how other people respond to it and why that isn't okay. Because mm -hmm. I think we should be celebrating divorce as a positive life choice. <laughs> mm. I'm, I'm kind of intrigued to what poem you've picked to, mm. for us today then in, <laughs> in light of this. Um, well, it's, kind of, it's not anything specifically about heartbreak, but it is a poem. <laughs> it's one of the first poems that I ever read um, at a poetry night and it definitely encapsulates a lot of the themes a lot of the nostalgia, a lot of the discovering who you are as a as a woman um, that I think a lot of my writing kind of delves into. Um, do you want me to go ahead and... Yeah, please. Okay, it's called... Apparently 2012 was a decade ago. And it very much <laughs> is, yeah, about my, again, memories of Brighton from 10 years ago. A certain grime song. I'm back in the bathroom of the second Brighton flat I ever lived in with Jack, the hairdresser, who looked like an ageing Russell Brand, with grey-white streaks in his hair and a hole in his heart he filled up with booze. I thought the streaks were intentional, they weren't. I'd moved to the city a year earlier, eagerly fresh with the optimism of graduation, overjoyed to finally be working in fashion, hopeful and dreamy and sickly in love with an entry-level boyfriend who I found out, via Facebook, how else, was cheating halfway through our 12-month contract. 
At the very least, he could have timed it better. An endurance test, six more months of sharing a too small double bed, top and tailed under separate duvets, forcing myself to stay awake so that my toes wouldn't touch his face. The slow brew of seething violence, acid in water, the time it got out of hand, the shove to the floor, the call to a friend. After that, I'd been happy to live just about anywhere. Jack opened the door to the viewing, wearing a kimono with a fur collar, a six-pack of Guinness dangling from his wrist like a beaded clutch. I asked him, when can I move in? And he said, today? The light in that bathroom was always heaven, streaming in golden on summer afternoons, scented shower steam lingering damp into mildewed speckles. G&T in a mug, balanced on white porcelain, no ice, super strong, sharp, sparkling, breaths of possibility and own brand whiskey. Crying in the bath over Amy, nothing he dates, working too late, crying on the train at work over the washing up, in the biscuit and crisps aisle of the co-op, cheap fusillian frozen pizza, black around the edges where I leave it in too long. An editor at 26 at MTV, oh wow, that's so cool, they say, while I trade booze for sleep and pick my face into a map of anxiety. Nothing Mac Studio Foundation can't fix. Cigarettes on the fire escape, joints for Jack, black paint chipping under our hands and feet, the glitter of lights and kitchen table haircuts at 2am. Come on, darling, let's chop it all off. I'm going to make you look like Courtney Love. Fuck the night, this is our time. MIA on repeat as we dance around his bedroom, a two-person rave. Bad girls do it right. A gathering of goddesses around that same table. A birthday party seemingly sponsored by American Apparel. Thick stretch velvet sucking in every unknowable wobble. Disco pants. The sexiest item of clothing you'll wear in your entire life. Until you have to take them off. Waistlines wet with sweat, pooling, poo peeling sticky sweet between our thighs, bruises on our ankles and knees from wearing towering liters on cobbled Soho streets. Jack flitting around friends like a fli frisky fly, hovering and hopeful till he's batted away. Tonight is not a night for boys or for men. It is for Vietnamese food and cocktails and love affairs that only last the length of a nightclub queue and gobs of birthday cake in bed, sneaking back out to go dancing at 4am. Of the eight women there that night, only three of them are still in my life. A normal week. Home on the 705 VIC to BTN. We're up here, darling. A skinny girl balanced on Jack's knee, feeding him sips of wine. She's young, all white tights and big eyes. I say hello, but he follows me into my bedroom, bursting to tell me that this is the one. George, I'm going to get her pregnant, going to marry her next week. I tell him to calm down, to wait, to hang on until at least the second date. Jack was orphan young, so he's a heat-seeking missile for love. It never works, and I'll be there to pick up the pieces after another one tells him he's just too intense. He suggests I join them for a threesome, him and the Bambi-led girl, but it's a Monday and he's like my mad uncle, so I say I'm probably going to have a stir-fry and go to bed instead. When the city felt unexplored, when I hadn't heard every busker before, trains gliding out from the glass cathedral at dawn. <laughs> Your poetry is hilarious. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's phenomenal. And oh, thank you. It really encapsulates 2012. I think if you came for, for me at that as time, well. hopefully yeah. it's, it's a shared experience for a lot of people. And it's, it's, it's almost like an ethnography. Of <laughs> yeah. Brighton, yeah. yeah, I think that's definitely something that yeah. feeds through a lot of I work. love the, um, how specific you go mm -hmm. into like... I was at the co-op and I got cheap <laughs> Coke and pizza. It's all I'm very... a hyper-detailed person yeah. in everything in my life. I I can't help but see everything all at once. I don't know if there's something wrong with my brain, but I think mm. it's quite common for a lot of writers. We're just constantly taking everything in. And for some reason, it stays there until I need it for writing. Mm. So I'm very grateful for that. 
Do you feel like, you know, you live your daily life? Do you feel like when you're writing, you kind of romanticize that, like put it into almost the film of yourself or? Maybe a little bit. I think I'm an incredibly nostalgic person. Memories are, and I'm an archivist as well. So I'm like obsessed with capturing memories and, and keeping hold of them for future. I don't know where this fear comes from, but it's definitely, yeah, I'm constantly thinking, how can I remember this? Um, so I guess it's less, I'd say I less romanticize and more, I'm quite obsessed with like the grossness of life, yeah. the minutiae that makes us all human. Um, so yeah, rather than thinking that everything's dreamy and romantic, which I kind of wish I could, I feel like a shit poet because I can't live my life in this quite sort of more bohemian way. But actually I'm just constantly looking for the, the tiny things that make life interesting. Mm -hmm. I had a friend who said, that, you know, his view of, like, beauty in the world was, like, the, looking at an ashtray, right? Yeah. And seeing, like... I've always saw... seen the beauty in the, yeah. in the in destruction and yeah. decay, basically. Or, like, dirty hills or something yeah. like that. I have, it's, I have a poem exactly about that, which mm -hmm. is, like, people don't want to look at the ugly things in poetry, but it's... Well, I mean, when you think of poetry, you think of the, the pretty things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But there's so much to tell in the ugly things. and Absolutely. It makes them pretty as well. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Just Beauty and imperfection, definitely, yeah. has always been my mantra. So. Yeah. You can really see your your prose style here as well. I can see how yeah. you can write you know, write a novel. <laughs> like it's really... Yeah. What, what's the difference for you when you think, I'm going to write a poem compared to I'm going to write prose? Um, I mean, as you can tell, the lines are definitely blurred there. Um, and actually, I found that when I stopped trying to force my poetry into being more structured or more rhyme based or, you know, more formally what would be considered, you know, poetic style, it the ideas came out better. So, you know, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an untrained poet, so I'm, I'm very aware that I've got like a way to go in terms of like my structure. And I de it's definitely something that I'm playing with in, in the new things that I'm writing. Mm -hmm. But once I allowed myself to write in a more prose fashion, I felt like the work was still valid as a poem. Um, yeah, definitely. And and actually, yeah, it almost it's almost like sometimes I will start a piece, definitely the essays, and be like, oh, what's this going to turn into? Is this going to be a poem? Is this going to be a short story? Mm. Um, and it's quite fun to kind of let it decide for itself sometimes. Mm. Do you have writers that inspire you in your writing? Yeah, I mean, I read I read a lot. I read a lot of novels, um, and I I am I'm starting to discover my favorite poets. I feel like that's something that we all kind of work out our poetry, our, our subgenre of poetry, if that makes sense. I definitely I I lean towards poets like myself that are more based in in realism, shall we say? Um, I've discovered Joy Sullivan, who is a, a writer based out of Oregon in America, and um, really really like her work. She publishes something on social media nearly every day. I don't know if she's writing every day. I assume she is. I'm pretty sure she's a, um, a professor at American University as well. And her work is she is very visceral. It's, it is romantic. She's definitely a poet that sees the romance and things. So maybe that's why I'm inspired by her because she's more of a your classic, you know, dreamy, beautiful, beautiful writer. Um, she's got an amazing poem about oysters, how she takes every man that she's on a date, like dating, she takes him to have oysters just to sort of see his reaction. Mm -hmm. because I think it tells a lot of, she says she thinks it says a lot about a person as how how they re respond to that experience and I don't know just little little details like that she yeah I really like her I really like a, a young poet I think she might be similar age to me called Charlie Brogan another English woman writing about yeah the female experience um very very funny she's got a poem called I think it's everything I love about girls and it's just fantastic just the terms of like the the little details of how women interact with each other in nightclubs and in pubs and how we kind of the, the way that 
females can kind of like bond together in that way instantaneously. Yeah. You can share it to us later. We'll yeah, I'll send you some examples. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And um, do you know the theme that's going to bind your poetry collection together? <clears throat> um, I mean, I guess it's, it's a little bit self-indulgent because it's quite an autobi autobiographical collection. Mm -hmm. In like I said, it's sort of starting maybe sort of mid 2000s right up to the present day and just dipping into different areas of my life. So just, yeah, trying to encapsulate the quite weird life that I've led through poems. <laughs> <laughs> and the themes will definitely be, yeah, womanhood, millennial experience, um, self-worth, self-esteem, um, just the general existence of, I guess, being in, and being in the UK as well. It's very British. I consider myself a very British writer because I think this country has, gives us so much to write about <laughs> and the mm. cities that we that we exist in. I see that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is why I say it's like an ethnography for me as being French. Yeah. It's like, oh, here's... <laughs> <laughs> you, um, how, how do you find the performance aspect of poetry? Do you, you, you seem like a natural, actually. I feel very lucky in that public speaking has never been something that's bothered me. Even like at school, mm. I, I liked reading out in class. Um, I had no idea until this year how I was going to find performing poems. Um, I was very nervous the first one I ever did. Really, like my hands were shaking, classic, like adrenaline. Mm. And then I did that first one. And I was like, oh, wow, like this is great. Like this is it feels so lovely as a writer to be in a room and actually be connecting with people who are understanding your work or having their own response to your work. It's for me, I definitely, you know, classic millennial thrive off external validation. Um, <laughs> so it was a, it was an important step that I needed to take in my own self-belief as a writer. Um, but yeah, I love it. I love, I mean, it can be awful. I had a terrible experience in the middle of the summer where I really bombed badly at a poetry night. It was what a poetry happened? competition. Oh. It was a slam. It's actually put me off ever doing slams again. Tell us about it. What happened? Oh, it was, <laughs> well, it was a good all the nitty gritty detail. It was a good learning experience. Well, I was very proud of myself because I I gone to Hammer and Tongues um, Poetry Slam and I had no idea that they were such a big organisation or you know had quite a big presence in the in the poetry community. Um, and it was my first ever Poetry Slam, where obviously you get judged like Strictly Come Dancing, which is horrible. Um, and I won it, my first ever one, which was like, I guess a bit of beginner's luck, maybe, um, with that welcome. Is that the bad home. news? Or <laughs> well, no, so I won that, which means that you then go straight through to like the semi-final, um, which is like a, of everyone that wins the slams over the weeks, then you do the semi-final together. And the winner of that performs at the Royal Albert Hall. So no pressure for like my first ever year performing poetry. So I go to the semi-final, which was at the Brighton Amphitheatre, the outside theatre um, in the summer. And... I don't want to, you know, badmouth the sound, sound guy, but the microphone wasn't very good and it was a windy day. Um, and I was a very different poet to the others that were performing that day. A lot of the other poets' work was either much more comedic, almost more like stand-up mm. comedy. Mm -hmm. but we, talk about, we talk about that all the time. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, a uh, live. Of a, of a bit. Yeah, like, like live. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like live, the comedy always seems to trump everything oh, cool. else, and right? I yeah, always feel intimidating about performance that. poetry because my poems aren't funny. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a hard, it's a harder one to like get across, definitely. Yeah. So yeah, I was up against other people that were either writing about very explicitly about mental health stuff, which obviously also, you know, a lot of people connect with, or this, this much more comedic. Um, or uh, the winner actually of the night was a, a person called Spiff Richard, who's quite well known in Brighton because he's an incredible like improv, almost more of an MC than a poet. I think he, he himself would call himself that. Um, and you know, again, very crowd pleasing because he's like an amazing performer. I'm not saying mm. that you know they 
it, essentially, I yeah, I was voted like the like the I was the first one to be knocked out, and it who, really not. So my who judges then? Mm. Well, it's a slam is just random people from the audience um, uh, that are just picked yeah picked out by the hosts, and they they hold up their scores. And I guess I just got people that didn't get my poem about having sex dreams about Harry Styles and why that was all tied into the fact that I was having long COVID. Um, <laughs> it, it was, you know, they didn't get not, it. They not, didn't get it. Not for but everyone. But I did it at Words of the Water the following week. Uh-huh. And, and did you do that poem? It. Yeah. I did the same poem and everyone loved it. So yeah. it just kind of It depends on the crowd sometimes. Exactly. It was a good lesson for me because I was like, oh my God, I'm sure. Yeah, like, I did I'm a never... poem like that. It was it fell at one crowd and then they did another one and they liked it. it so. Like my boyfriend tried to put my, put his arm around me like at that at the competition when, when I'd like bombed and I was like, don't touch me. Don't look at me. So well, at least it hasn't put you off performing at all. No, it may, if anything, it was like, right, don't be, you know, yes, yeah. okay, this comes naturally to me, but it doesn't mean that I've got this. I've still got to, like, you've yeah. still got to earn the respect of everyone that you perform mm. to. When did you bomb the, the, the um, most? It was my poem about uh, I'm not a true artist, and it was quite long. It was quite a long poem, so you need to hold people's attention for yeah. a long time, and I was going through bits and pieces and stuff. And um, then I think I performed it a bit differently the next time. Yeah. So, yeah, you learn from performance. You do, you do. It's incredible. Yeah. If um, someone's listening to this podcast and they're like, Georgina's awesome. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Where can they hear m- more about you? Um, well, my Instagram is a good place to start, obviously. Uh, I have a main Instagram, which also features my artwork because I'm a tattooist by day, right by night. Uh, that's just uh, underscore Georgina Langford and then I have my one that is just specifically for writing which is by underscore Georgina Langford and obviously I also have the Substack that people can subscribe to um, as well as the, the, uh, the your amazing poetry one um, so Millennial Horror Story on Substack which is free unless you want to pay for a subscription which would really help me out I have one paid subscriber and honestly I like hit the ceiling when I got that notification I was like oh my god we also have them. one page <laughs> you know it really means a lot so yeah. um, that and then obviously yeah I feel I'll... bad for them because we want to provide transcripts okay, but we yeah, can't sure. have it just with one person no, so of course. if if you want to have transcripts for this show please consider subscribing yeah, to support the arts. Um, <laughs> and then yeah hopefully I'll be able to talk about my book soon but not yet um, but when I do then I'll, I'll shout okay. about that on social media so we're keeping this conversation uh, so we, we're keeping the suspense then for your book. Uh, yes, unfortunately, yeah, that's all I can really say at the moment. But okay. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And you'll be performing live at uh, some point yeah, soon? Yeah, I've got them. Um, I haven't got tickets yet, but hopefully Rebel Soapbox at the end of this month. Oh, I'll sweet. definitely be at the next Words by the Water. Um, mm-hmm. What's the date on that? I believe it's the 24th, but don't quote me on 24th that. 24th of November, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I think yeah. It's, it's always the last Thursday of the month. So Yeah, and Words by the Water must be 23rd then? or Yeah, normally that's the Wednesday, isn't it? So yeah, I'll just be at the local Brighton, the Brighton ones, definitely. Sweet. Yeah. So stay tuned for the date. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much. Thank you for having for Yeah, thank that. you for being on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I dropped that one. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> yeah, cheers. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Poetry to Your Ears. This podcast is published as a newsletter on Substack. All of our content is published for free, but if you would like to support our work, you can become a paid subscriber. This will help us afford transcripts for the deaf and hard of hearing community and anyone who would benefit from reading the podcast alongside hearing it.
You can also support us for free by rating the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or writing a review on Apple Podcasts. Share the show with your friends, fellow poets and poetry lovers. If you want to interact with us, you can follow us on at poetry to your ears on Instagram and at poetry to number two your ears on Twitter. Or you can also write a comment on Substack. If you're American and you're listening to us, send us a message. Half of our listeners are American. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time.